Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. As we transition out of football season, sadly, because the Patriots didn't make the playoffs, it does bring me happiness to start talking a little baseball. Spring training is hopefully around the corner. And to talk about it with us, nobody better than Vermont native, Randolph Center. Don't say Randolph. Randolph Center native. Buster Olney at ESPN. Buster, Happy New Year. How are you? I'm doing great. and Great to talk to you at WDEV. That's the station I listen to uh, every single day. Uh, you know, growing up at 715, uh, they had they gave the, the baseball scores from the night before, and the big question was, would the school bus arrive first, or could I hear the scores first? <laughs> I was, so I, I'm a loyal listener of WDEV. Well, we're glad to have you on. We're an ESPN affiliate, so we're happy maybe to uh, you know continue our partnership and be able to talk more down the road. I was going to say, I had a feeling you probably grew up listening to WDEV in Central Vermont. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I always people ask me all the time, like, who was the, the person that I met in baseball that I was most excited to, to, to meet? And it was Ned Martin, the longtime Red Sox announcer uh, in spring training of 1990. Uh, I saw him, and I was like, oh, my God, that's who I listen to on Red Sox broadcast on WDEV uh, every day. Uh, I wasn't a Red Sox fan, but I learned so much baseball from Ned Martin and Jim Woods growing up. How often do you make it back to Vermont in a normal non-pandemic year? Boy, um, I want to say five or six times during the course of the year. I'm going to be doing more this winter because I, I, ha- I haven't skied since I was a kid. Um, you know, once my folks bought the dairy farm in, in Randolph Center, we basically stopped skiing after uh, about the time I was nine years old. And this winter, I picked up cross-country skiing again. And so I'm, I'm planning on going up there as much as possible and actually going back to the farm to, to, to hoof around there and go skiing. Well, it always gives people a good... Um a good smile whenever you're on ESPN or on a radio appearance and you say, I'd like to bet the family farm back in Randolph center that this will happen. People really enjoy hearing the Vermont reference. Well, and that's, uh, you know, and I certainly play to that a little bit too. Um, and it's so funny because I've had uh, two or three hosts who will say, wait, you, you weren't right. So you got to give up the farm. <laughs> like nobody took the bet. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. No one seems to take the bet on me. Do you meet very many Vermonters in baseball? I mean, there are a few, but not many, I'd imagine. No. Um, in fact, one of my favorite stories was uh, Derek Barton. Yeah. Uh, you know, longtime first baseman, was born in Springfield, if I remember correctly. Yes. And, and I saw that on his bio, and I, like, made a point of going up to him and, and be, hey, Derek, guess what? You know, I, I, I grew up in central Vermont. I know you were born there. He looked at me and said, yeah, we moved away when I was a kid. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> he couldn't have been less enthusiastic than he was. Uh, and Carlton Fisk, for me, is always someone who uh, is near and dear to my heart because, of course, he was born in Vermont. He would tell you he grew up in New Hampshire, uh, but his uh, where, he, where he grew up was close to a sporting goods store that my uncle owned, and my Uncle Bob would always say that he sold Carlton Fisk his first catcher's mitt when he was a kid. Hmm. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but it's a really good family story. That is a great story. Buster Olney of ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to transition now to, you know, to some major leagues talk. Um, I said at the outset that hopefully spring training is around the corner. We seem to be locked in what appears to be another battle coming between players and owners about when the season is actually going to start. What's your early read on when spring training may actually begin? 
I'm really concerned, um, really concerned, especially as we get word that uh, the rollout of the, of the coronavirus vaccine is not going smoothly, uh, because I think that's information that baseball owners are watching. The longer and, and, and the more difficult that that process is, the more likely that you're going to have uh, you know games play without fans in the stands and more likely that the owners are going to ask the players for rollbacks with salaries. And we saw how that went last year. Um, I, I, I first off, I, I think it's uh, it's not a done deal that spring training won't start on time. But I would bet the family farm back at Randolph Center that spring training will not start on time. Um, and I'm I'm really concerned about the two sides being able to negotiate a deal to start up. If you told me that you know that the significant portion of the season was lost, whether it's 40 games or half the season or 100 games, it wouldn't surprise me uh, because the, the the lack of a productive working relationship between these two sides has been so acute. It's the worst I've seen in my 32 years of covering pro ball. I, I don't know who I think is right in this situation, but I do think the players have a point when they say, hey, we made it through last year with all of these protocols and we showed that we could do it. So I understand why they think, hey, we can go to spring training on time and start the season on time. And, you know, when fans can come, fans can come. I, I guess I see their point there, Buster. Well, you definitely see their point. But the fact is, like a lot of businesses, uh, especially more lucrative businesses, you know, the uh, revenues for the owners have not been what they've been accustomed to in the past. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, that suddenly you're going to see a bunch of teams folding up tents and going bankrupt uh, the way we've seen with some other businesses uh, and affected by COVID-19. But you do see owners essentially uh, using that as a premise to ask for change. Changes, um, you know, and that doesn't only extend to the players. A whole bunch of people have been laid off in the sport. Sometimes some of the cuts that the owners have done internally have seemed really kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> like last year, the Oakland Athletics cut their minor leaguer salaries or moved to cut their minor leaguer salaries from four hundred to three hundred dollars a week, which feels like a kind of a joke. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's kind of where the owners are in this thing. And there's no question that their revenue streams are less than they were before the the COVID-19 because there are no fans in the stands. I want to get to the Red Sox, Buster. I, I think there's a lot of different ways this team can go, right? They have money available. They certainly could spend at the deep end of the pool if they wanted to, but Bloom, in my mind, seems to be taking more of a, uh, maybe not a quite a long game approach, but a looking through a longer lens. Where do you think philosophically the Red Sox are right now? Yeah, I think you're exactly right, um, which is why I thought it was important that he brought that, uh, that Heim brought back Alex Cora, because if he had had a rookie manager, Sam Fold, in the dugout uh, this year, and what, you know, is probably uh, the Red Sox are not expected to be uh, necessarily one of the best teams in the American League East, and after the struggles of last year, if the Red Sox had another bad year, I not only fans, but you wonder how Red Sox ownership would feel about it. You bring back Alex Cora, it buys you a couple of years um, to put your system in place. I do think that at the end of it, they're going to be in a better spot. The, the question is, it's like a, it's like watching Mission Impossible with a race against time. You know, will Bloom get the franchise turned back in, in terms of the depth that he's looking for before the ownership begins to get concerned about the Red Sox not competing? Do you think there's any kind of power struggle waiting down the line between Cora and Bloom, just in the sense that Cora has a lot of supporters 
in that building, and he's a guy who wants to win. Could there be a power a power struggle there where Cora isn't on board with Heim's philosophy? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think, first off, I know Alex well enough, having worked with him at ESPN, um, that he's someone who is very open-minded to, to new age analytics. It's not like he's an old-school manager who uh, is having stuff shoved down his throat. Um, so I, I think that he'll work, wind up working well with Heim. The one thing I would say is that I think Alex, because of the, the, his history with the team, playing uh, under Terry Francona there, the championship in 2018, I think he probably has more in the bank uh, with uh, Red Sox ownership than Heim does. So it's going to be important to see signs of progress for the Red Sox at the end of 2021 or early in 2022. You know, I think that that Bloom is right to take this longer lens, longer lens approach. I don't think this team is is um, at the upper echelon of the American League right now. How good is Toronto? Because I, I think Red Sox fans just assume they're only battling it out with the Yankees and the Rays. I think Toronto is really coming fast. Yeah, and let's see, you know, the Rays seem to find a way to stay competitive no matter what they do, but they have taken a step back. Uh, trading Blake Snell this winter, you know, Charlie Morton departs as a free agent. Toronto right now is the biggest threat to the Yankees, especially at a time when the Yankees aren't doing a lot. Uh, the Blue Jays have this great young core of players, uh, you know, Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Nate Pearson, the, you know, hard-throwing uh, young right-hander. And when you talk to agents, uh, you talk to other teams, and you ask them, okay, who actually, in a winner, which very few teams are spending money, who's actually being aggressive, and the Blue Jays are always named. And I don't know if the Blue Jays are going to wind up with, uh, you know, DJ LeMahieu or Trevor Bauer uh, or, or somebody, I would bet that they're going to wind up with JT Real Muto, uh, the you know the best catcher in baseball. They're going to get better. They're going to land one of the premier guys. Buster Olney of ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, the pitching staff for the Red Sox, I think, is still the biggest question. I don't know what they're doing in the bullpen. We don't know. We don't know what Erod's going to look like coming back from COVID complications. We don't know when we're going to see Chris Sale again. Uh, I'm in favor of the Red Sox just buying low on everybody this offseason. I mean, what, what's the market for like a Corey Kluber? How cheap, you know, when I say buy low, is he a guy you can really get for $4 million? Yeah, and I had a general manager say to me, yeah, Corey Kluber's going to wind up with the Red Sox or the Yankees. Hmm. <laughs> um, he's going to throw for scouts sometime in the middle of January. Uh, he's coming back from an injury. He's going to be on a, a, you know, essentially on a make-good type deal one year to reestablish himself, that, it, that he's healthy. It, that would absolutely make sense. And, and look, uh, $4 million for a guy who won the Cy Young Award a couple times, Brady, sounds small. Yeah. But in the current market this winter, that's actually uh, probably a decent deal where you give him $4 million in a base salary, you give him some incentive clauses, he reproves himself and then sets himself up for free agency in the fall. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what happened because of his New England roots. Just where we are right now with the Red Sox, I was so despondent the other day. I, I don't remember his name, but there was a Korean second baseman who just signed with the Padres for four years, $28 million. It was supposed to be very, very good. And he chose the Padres over the Red Sox. Is this where the Red Sox are at right now, that the Padres are a better destination than them? Well, I mentioned, uh, and the player's name is Ha Seong Kim, if I pronounce that correctly. Um, it correctly. You know, I mentioned that 
there are very few teams that are actually being aggressive in the marketplace. The Mets are clearly going to be one. I think they'll wind up with George Springer. The Blue Jays are another. And the Padres uh, seem especially motivated. You know, they took a big step forward. They got to catch the Dodgers, so their ownership is invested. The fact is, is that probably 26 of the 30 teams, including the Yankees, including the Red Sox, really seem to be laying back. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody can, it, 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 who's a baseball owner, can say, yeah, our, our industry is in trouble because the franchise values are so high. If the Red Sox ownership wanted to put the Red Sox out on the marketplace, there'd be somebody out there probably willing to buy them for 3 or $4 billion. But... There's no question that their revenues were affected by last year. And as we sit here today, and as I mentioned, the, you know, the news about the, the how widely spread the vaccine is going to be is, is not good right now. If you're an owner, you're concerned. And the Red Sox are not alone, apparently, in that with all these teams basically holding their, uh, you know, their pocketbook shut and waiting to get better information about where we're going to be with coronavirus. Buster, I want to get you out of here on this, uh, on the Lake Monsters. We know now that the Lake Monsters did lose their major league affiliation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they will not be a, a professional minor league team next year. They've said there's going to be baseball at Centennial Field. It's going to be professional baseball, probably in an independent league. Are you somebody that thinks that the professional affiliation matters a lot, or does it just matter that there's baseball? And it's an interesting question. I do think if you are in a competitive uh, sports market, and I'm just going to mention Nashville, okay, because I live there and I know that marketplace, they've got the tight uh, you know, they've got the Predators. They've got a lot of alternatives. Uh, you know, University of Tennessee football, Vanderbilt football. Um, and I, I think for a place like that, it is important to have a major league affiliate so that if you're a casual baseball fan and you say, you know what, I want to go watch this, uh, you know, this player who I might see in the big leagues down the road. I, I've always felt that the greater lure in Burlington is just professional baseball itself and that people like the idea in a beautiful summer evening in Burlington of getting out to the ballpark, the sounds and the smells. I do think, you know, their, their fans certainly can look back and say, hey, Ken Griffey Jr. and others who came through Burlington, you know, that was a lot of fun and it was exciting to go watch those guys. I don't think for the Lake Monsters is quite as important, but, you know, I, I'm just guessing there. I, I I thought all along Major League Baseball's plan to reduce their minor league uh, by 40 teams, it, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people in the game who absolutely believe that as well. Buster Olney of ESPN. Uh, Buster, we appreciate you being with us. Randolph Center native. Always keep, keep dropping the Vermont references when you're out on other stations and on TV. And uh, we wish you a safe and happy new year. And we will definitely bring you on again. All right, Brady. That sounds great. Good to talk with you.